Looking at our world from a theological perspective, this is the Theology Central Podcast, making Theology Central. Good evening, everyone. It is Tuesday, May the 9th, 2023. It is currently 10.06 p.m. Central Time, and I'm coming to you live from the Theology Central studio located right here in Abilene, Texas. And did you notice what happened? Once again, when I clicked to go live, the volume for our intro, the volume setting had been reduced to half. I don't know why it's doing that. It's just artificially dropping it down to half. And so I I clicked to go live. And before I even notice, the intro is playing at half a volume. Well, why is it doing that? So you know what that means, ladies and gentlemen? I had to do this in the last live broadcast, but this is the only way I can function I have to correct it. I know what everyone would say. You should just ignore it, but I can't. I can't. So here we go. Looking at our world from a theological perspective, this is the Theology Central Podcast, making Theology Central. So much better. Good evening, everyone. It is Tuesday, May the 9th, 2023. It is currently 10.07 p.m. Central Time, and I'm still sitting in the Theology Central studio, and it is still located right here in Abilene, Texas. Thank you so much for your patience and allowing me to correct that. I know it would not bother you, but when I go back and listen, I'm like, well, the volume was down. It will drive me crazy. So that's for my own mental health, and trust me, whether you understand this or not, My mental health needs all the help it can get on this Tuesday, May the 9th. It's from Sunday to Tuesday. It's been, it's, it's not been good, but are you, are you ready? I'm going to do something that's not going to be very good for my mental health, but that's okay. Are you ready? I hope so. I hope you're ready. All right. Do you remember a long, long time ago? In fact, it started Oh, where did it start? Hang on. I got to go to the right series. It started on on, uh, April the 25th, 2023, April the 25th, 2023, an episode of the Today's Focus podcast series. I did an episode entitled Song of Solomon. Does that, does everyone remember that? It was such a simple broadcast. It was such a simple idea. Hey, everyone. Song of Solomon. Here is how some people approach the Song of Solomon. They do so in a very allegorical way. Well, do we think that's the correct way to handle the Song of Solomon? Hey, everyone, here's what I want you to do. I want you to take the Song of Solomon. Remember, this is what I was saying for the Today's Focus episode. Hey, for your focus today, I want you to go through the entire book of the Song of Solomon. Use the allegorical interpretive hermeneutic. And go verse by verse. And when you're done, let me know how it works. Does it work or does it get really weird? Does it get really strange? Does it start seeming like this just doesn't work? Let me know. Well, instead of people letting me know if it worked or if it didn't work, I received an email. Let's just say they were not very happy with my, well, it wasn't even really my approach. They weren't really happy that I would, I guess, in any way, shape or form, question the allegorical method. And so I spent then two plus hours responding to that email. And remember, the emailer did apologize. So that was good. 
And I thought, you know, maybe we'll do some more work on the Song of Solomon sometime. But, you know, for the most part, you know, I kind of like, we remember we did an overview of the Song of Solomon. I thought we did a lot of work. I suggested my own unique way of interpreting the Song of Solomon. So I, I think I, I think we really did a good job. So I was ready to move on. I was ready to move on. But this evening, as I was sitting here in the studio, I thought, you know what? What can I do tonight? What should I do tonight? So many things that I need to work on. So many things I'm trying to figure out. Maybe how to change or how, or just just doing just doing a lot of thinking about the podcast and just you know just doing that kind of thing. And so when you're kind of like I don't want to say in a transitional stage, but when you're in a stage of rethinking a lot of things, then you're kind of like, well, I need to do this, but I don't know if I want to do this. I'm rethinking this. So I was like, you know what? I know what I'll do. I'll open up the sermon audio beta site. Remember, they're doing beta testing on a new website. And on the, on the beta testing site, it's really awesome. They have a section that says daily devotional. And I went to the daily devotional. I went to Charles Haddon Spurgeon. I went to the evening devotional for May the 9th. And I hit play. And I bet you, you can guess. Once again, Charles Haddon Spurgeon used the Song of Solomon for tonight's devotional thought. So I grabbed the audio. Let's go see. We, I, I mean, I think you already know. Once again, we're going to find Charles Haddon Spurgeon using the allegorical method of interpretation to handle the Song of Solomon. And I've tried to demonstrate to you all the problems with it, but let's see what it sounds like tonight. So let's go back in time, the 1800s, Charles Haddon Spurgeon, England. Let's, let's go. Hey, hey, Mr. Spurgeon. Hey, hey, could you uh, tell me how do you handle the Song of Solomon on May the 9th, 2023, right? Or if we're back in the 1800s, May the 9th, 18 something. Okay. All right. Are you ready? Here we go. In Psalm 63, David said, My soul shall be satisfied as with marrow and fatness, and my mouth shall praise thee with joyful lips, when I remember thee upon my bed, and meditate on thee in the night watches. To help you focus your thoughts upon God at the close of this day, we bring you this devotional meditation from Morning and Evening by Charles Haddon Spurgeon, this has no bearing on anything, but I just love that intro. I love that intro. I used to hear this on, um, was it Bob Jones University radio station? I think it was on their radio station. And it would come on like at midnight or one in the morning. And it would be the Charles Haddon Spurgeon evening. And that'd be the morning. So this would come on uh, not quite at midnight. So about 10 p.m., 11 p.m., obviously, since it's p.m. So, yeah. If it's one or two in, in the morning, then it was the morning uh, devotional. So they did that as well. So this would have been around 10 or 11 p.m. my time. It would come on. And I always just love that intro. I just love that intro. It really just set the mood. And I'm like, okay, I'm ready to hear the e the evening devotional from Charles Haddon Spurgeon. And well, I I, I, I always loved it. You may not love it, but I, just, I love the music. I love the voice. I, I love the quote from Psalm 63. I just, I love, I love it all. I love it all. And uh, so that part, 
great. But, you know, the more I learned about hermeneutics, the more I learned about biblical interpretation, the more frustrated I would sometimes get. I know I'm not supposed to say this, but I would get very frustrated sometimes with Charles Hedden Spurgeon's devotional because am I allowed to say this? He rips verses out of context and sometimes goes very, very allegorical. (gasps) Oh, wait, wait, you want an example? Well, let's see what happens here. The great English preacher of the 19th century. This evening's text is found in the Song of Solomon, chapter 7, verses 11 and 12. Come, my beloved, let us go forth into the field. Let us see if the vine flourish. The church was about to engage in earnest labor. Now, just already, wait, 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 what just happened? So he reads Song of Solomon 7, verse 11. Song of Solomon, chapter 7, verse 11. Come, my beloved, let us go forth into the field. Let us lodge in the villages. Now he says to let us uh, go early to the vineyards and let us see if the vine flourish. So what I think he did is he took the first, he took a phrase from verse 11, a phrase from verse 12. So Song of Solomon, chapter 7, verse 11. Come, my beloved, let us go forth. Uh, let us see if the vine flourishes. He put, he put, so he, he took two phrases from two different verses, put them together, boom, and then immediately he's like, the church. Whoa, whoa, wait, 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 wait. How did we get to the church? We're in the Song of Solomon for crying out loud. How did, how, what just happened? What just happened? What, what, now the church shows up here. Where's the church? Okay, because he's going allegorical. I'm going to back this up. I don't always have a lot of success backing this up, but that's okay. I'm going to back it up. If we go too far, you'll just have to forgive me. All right, here we go. The case, except our own folly and neglect. All right, that did not work. (laughs) All right, let's see if we can go way far back. Let's see if this works. Life in outward exercise. I have no idea why that just happened. All right, let's go. I'm going to go way back here. Here we go. Company in it. All right, that did not work either. I'm just going to go all the way back. Here we go. This devotional meditation from Morning and Evening by Charles Haddon Spurgeon, the great English preacher of the 19th century. This evening's text is found in the Song of Solomon, chapter 7, verses 11 and 12. Come, my beloved, let us go forth into the field. Let us see if the vine flourish. The church was about to engage in earnest labor and desired her Lord's company in it. She does not say, I will go, but let us go. It is blessed working when Jesus is at our side. It is the business of God's people to be trimmers of God's vines. Like our first parents, we are put into the garden of the Lord for usefulness. Let us therefore go forth into the field. Observe that the church, when she is in her right mind, in all her many labors, desires to enjoy communion with Christ. Some imagine that they cannot serve Christ actively and yet have fellowship with Him. They are mistaken. Doubtless it is very easy to fritter away our inward life in outward exercises and come to complain with the spouse, They made me keeper of the vineyards, but mine own vineyard have I not kept. But there is no reason why this should be the case, except our own folly and neglect. Certain is it that a professor may do nothing, 
and yet grow quite as lifeless in spiritual things as those who are most busy. Mary was not praised for sitting still, but for her sitting at Jesus' feet. Even so, Christians are not to be praised for neglecting duties under the pretense of having secret fellowship with Jesus. It is not sitting, but sitting at Jesus' feet which is commendable. Do not think that activity is in itself an evil. It is a great blessing and a means of grace to us. Paul called it a grace given to him to be allowed to preach, and every form of Christian service may become a personal blessing to those engaged in it. Those who have most fellowship with Christ are not recluses or hermits who have much time to spare, but indefatigable laborers who are toiling for Jesus, and who in their toil have him side by side with them, so that they are workers together with God. Let us remember, then, in anything we have to do for Jesus, that we can do it, and should do it, in close communion with Him. This meditation... Now, whatever you think about what he said, you, you can think, oh, that was really profound. That was re really spiritual. Whatever you think about it, let me say something in a very blunt way. That has literally nothing to do with the Song of Solomon. Literally nothing to do with chapter 7, verse 11, or verse 12. That literally, that's just made up. That's just complete made up. Those, those spiritual principles may be true that we should go forth with Jesus in communion. And, and it's not about just, you know, it, it's not about just sitting still, but it's sitting still at Jesus' feet. And, and all, all just all of those things he said, you may be like, oh, good principle, good principle. You could write down those principles, but it has nothing to do with the Song of Solomon. And the fact that he takes those principles based off the Song of Solomon, chapter 7, verse 11 and 12, is not to be praised. It is to be criticized. And I know that I have no business criticizing Charles Haddon Spurgeon because he's one of the greatest preachers of all time. He knows more than I will ever, he knew more than I will ever know. He forgot more than I will ever know. He could preach better than I could ever pretend to preach. I know all of that. I understand that I'm a nobody, but, but the problem is this is a hermeneutical nightmare. You can't just read a verse that says, come, my beloved, let us go forth into the field. Let us lodge in the villages. Let us get up early to the vineyards. Let us see if the vine flourish. And well, that's the church telling, I guess, is that the church saying, Jesus, come with us as we go into the vineyard? Or is that Jesus calling the church to go into the I don't know. Who knows? Because you can just make it say whatever you want it to say. And that is not acceptable. That's not, it's not acceptable in the morning time, in the afternoon or in the evening. I don't care when you're doing your devotionals. And one of the major, major problems within the evangelical world is such a devotional mindset where you just read the Bible and you can just make, apply it to anything in any way. There's no hermeneutical rules that anyone follows. It's just a free for all. You read it, you see yourself into it. We, we always read, like we go to the Song of Solomon, we're going to read us into it. We're going to read the church into it. We're going to read Jesus into it, even if there is nothing in the text that would tell us to do so. 
I want you to understand, a preacher can preach and his points may be 100% truthful and accurate. However, they he based those truths on a text which he ripped out of context, mishandled, or turned into a complete allegory. Then I don't care how right the points may be, you should be disturbed in how the text was handled. Now, whenever I say that, people look at me like, no, 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 look, look, the sermon was good. The handling of the text was horrific. So it wasn't good. Well, as long as the points are good, I don't care what he does with the text. The, the, the fact that Christians justify it and say things like that is, is an absolute condemnation to the church. And it's a condemnation to pastors who haven't taught their people to care and, and understand hermeneutical principles. So let me offer again my my perspective. I'm I'm going to offer this up one more time. I'm just going to briefly mention this. In fact, I may quote from an email that someone sent me who I think I have it here. I think it ha- I have it here. Let me see here. I don't know if I have it. Maybe I do. Okay, yeah. So this is how someone summarized my point. This is how someone summarized my point. And they probably summarized it better than I stated it. But they said it, they stated it this way. Is it possible that this, that is it possible, Song of Solomon, that it is a powerful love song to one of the women that may demonstrate that love can be given over to a person and can lead to a downfall, even of the wisest man to ever live. And just remember, just remember the reason this, we, we offered this is Song of Solomon. We think, we, we know even from the Song of Solomon that at this time he had like, I don't know, 60 virgins. He, he already had multiple women. He had multiple women. And we know he wrote many songs. We know he wrote many songs, like a thousand and one or a thousand and six, something along those lines. Well, we know he ultimately ended up with what, you know, a thousand women. He ended up with, uh, uh, what, 700 concubines, 300 wives, or 700 wives, 300 concubines. I always get the number reversed. But he ended up with a thousand different women. He ended up a complete polygamist, serial adulterer, and an idolater. That's just the, that's the historical record of Solomon who wrote the Song of Solomon. So when you interpret the Song of Solomon, you can't just ignore that historical reality. When he's writing this love song to one of these women, he's committing adultery and have all these women on the side. Like, we don't like that. We don't want to acknowledge that. So maybe this is a powerful love song to one of the women that may demonstrate that love, that passion, that this, 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 and he may have truly loved this woman can be given over to a person and can then lead to that person's downfall, even to the wisest man who ever lived. Maybe after all, this is simply a cautionary tale that intense, passionate love, all right, let that at least in part led to Solomon's idolatry. This, the, the Shulamite woman may have been a trap that did not turn him to God, but away from him. Now, see, if I offer that interpretation, I'm going to get emails. People are like, how dare you say that? How? Solomon, a thousand women who ends up his heart being turned away from the true God and becomes an idolater. He is a polygamist, serial adulterer and an idolater. 
How can you read the Song of Solomon and go, oh, no, 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 no. Let's ignore the historical context. Let's ignore everything Solomon says about, about, him, about, about himself. Well, if we read, if we, well, it depends on how you read the Song of Solomon. I guess if you allegorize it, then he's not speaking about himself. Let's forget that the person in the Song of Solomon speaks of other women. Let's just forget all of that, right? Let's forget all of this. Let's forget it all. And let's just say, oh, this is a beautiful allegorical story about Christ and the church or God and Israel or Christ and me, the individual believer. How about we are like, hmm, this is a passionate love. This is passionate there's a there's a there's a passion in this that you can that you can feel and maybe this passion that was so wonderful and so great towards this woman that later in the Ecclesiastes song of Sol- member Solomon seems to imply that maybe all the women were kind of vain that it really it didn't amount to everything but maybe he pursued this woman earlier on in his life remember we tried to figure out exactly maybe when he wrote this in his life but he pursues this woman, uh, you know, maybe somewhere closer or somewhere in the earlier part of his reign. He pursues this woman. Maybe it's passionate. Maybe it's wonderful. Ultimately, maybe later he begins to regret all the women he pursued, sees the vanity in it, and then realizes that he ended up, these women turned his heart away from God, seeing it as a cautionary tale that you can have this kind of passionate love and it may not be. And if you want to allegorize it in any way, shape or form that you can give your heart and passion over to a woman, to anything, a career, family, and it can turn your heart away from God. Maybe it's more of a cautionary tale. I don't know. That's just my hypothesis. I've thrown it out there for people to at least consider, but I know this. What Spurgeon just did to the Song of Solomon I'm sorry, it's a train wreck. It's atrocious. It's it's wrong. It's criminal. None of that comes from that text. Not one one thing he said. Not one of those points came from the Song of Solomon. He literally just obliterated the meaning of the text. So someone will sit down tonight and go, I'm going to do my evening devotional. Oh. Oh, it was so good. I saw in the Song of Solomon, the church. I saw in the Song of Solomon and how we must need, we need to call him when we go into the vineyard. And we go into the vineyard, not alone, but we go with Christ. Oh, it was beautiful. Yeah. And you just obliterated the entire meaning of God's word. That's not a good thing. Now, I, Dare I, I, I'm not inviting, I don't want to invite more problems or difficulties. I just want you to see that, like, how do you, like, see, this is what would happen. The average person sitting in the pew would hear Spurgeon's words and they would sit there, whether they verbalized it, they would sit there and go, how did he come up with that? How did he come up with that? How, so teach me how to do that. Let me, let me teach you how to do that. Read and make it say whatever you want it to say and act all rather spiritual. Now, when you make it say something, make it sound very spiritual, bring in Jesus, throw in the church, and then you'll be okay. But but no, I'm not going to teach people just read it and make up whatever you want. I'm not going to teach people to do that. There's got to be hermeneutical rules that guide the process. Okay, thank you. There you go. I feel better now. I feel better. I don't feel better that I messed up my introduction at the beginning. I don't. I don't, I don't feel better. I don't feel better that um, when I tried to 
reverse the audio there. I don't know what was going on, uh, but I am glad that we listened to it all. And I'm glad that you got to hear how Spurgeon handled the text because it's a perfect example of what I constantly scream about, that we can't just read the Bible and make it say whatever we want. I mean, I guess technically we can. Maybe I should state it this way. We shouldn't. If you wrote a letter and someone read it and then just made it say anything other than the words that were actually used, typically that would tick you off. Maybe we look at the words that are actually used and try to understand that. Thanks for listening. Everyone have a great evening. And if you do a devotional this evening, hey, actually look at the words of the text and try to understand what they mean. Thanks for listening. God bless.